Hi, and welcome to Sepha Stories. So, in this episode, which we are on episode three of Sepha Stories, we will be looking at a wonderful fan fiction. Uh, this is looking at the family unit of Draco Malfoy, Lucius Malfoy, and Narcissa Malfoy. The title of this particular piece of fanfiction, and I did find it on fanfiction.net. I have a go-to app that I utilize um, on my iPad. But the um, title of the piece that I am going to be reading, and I do have permissions from the author, is called Cursed Memories. And the author's pen name for this particular story is Fire the Cannon, and Cannon, C-A-N-O-N. It's all um, three different words, so Fire the Cannon, and I like to play on the words. I thought that was pretty clever. This is a relatively newer piece of fan fiction. Um, We do have a rated T for teen. This is in the English language, and it is a family-centric type story. Um, We do have a summary as written by the character, which says, Ever since the war and her husband was sent to Azkaban for life, Narcissa's memories have slowly been fading. After years of night terrors, uh, Draco can no longer take it and decides to confront his father once and for all about his mother's deteriorating health. So, this is um, going to be exploring... believe the family dynamics between Narcissa and Draco and Lucius Malfoy. So I have read this and I really hope that everybody else uh, likes the story as well. This is, looks like this was a um, competition piece. So I always love these when, when I come across these. So I hope you guys enjoy this, this read. This is called Cursed Memories written by Fire the Cannon, and we will begin this story now. The scream woke Draco from his sleep. He sat bolt upright in his bed, glancing around the dark room. His first instinct was to check on his son, but Scorpius was sleeping peacefully in the bassinet beside Astoria, not having heard the horrible sound. His wife hadn't stirred either, a smile on her lips as she hopefully dreamed of something pleasant. The scream sounded again, and, with a heavy sigh, Draco pulled himself out of his warm bed and padded across the floor of his bedroom and into the cold, dark corridor of Malfoy Manor. Lifting his wand, he crept down the hall, walking slowly towards the scream that had turned into hysterical whimpering. "'Mother?' Draco said, pushing open the door to the room, three doors down from his own. "'Mother, are you all right?' He held his wand up, hovering the light over the bed. His mother wasn't there. He stepped into the room and scanned it, following the sound of his mother's cries until he located her in the corner, knees drawn to her chest and a silver nightgown wrapped around her pale and thin body. Terrified eyes stared up blankly into Draco's face. Fighting the repulsion he felt at the sight of her, Draco moved towards her and crouched down so that he was at her level. Mother, what's happened? There was no answer. Narcissa stared back at her son as if he were a stranger. She gazed at him in a way that said she barely realized he was there. Come on. 
Draco said, heaving her up from under her arm. It's, it's all right. It was just a nightmare. You need to sleep it off. Come on. He guided his mother back to the bed, her bony feet stumbling across the hard floor. He just managed to get her lying back down when her fingers clasped his wrists. Draco, she cast, her vacant expression now filled with recognition. Draco. Yes, mother, it's me, Draco assured her gently. He pulled the covers up under her chin and used his wand to tuck the blankets in. I'm here, and it's okay. You simply had a nightmare. Narcissa stared up at him. Where's your father, Draco? I can't see him. Is he working late? Father is in Azkaban, Draco said blankly. He had told her this every night for the past seven years. He must have been thinking of him. There was a silence then. Yes, I must have been. Color had returned to Narcissa's face, and she smiled up at her son. Thank you, Draco. I'm sorry for the trouble I caused. Don't be sorry, Draco said, keeping his voice even. It isn't your fault. Good night, Mother. Draco closed the door to her room and walked back down the hall to his own. He slid into bed, relishing for a moment in the beautiful, gentle breathing of his wife and son, and laid back down, doing his best to fall asleep before his mother's scream woke him again in a few hours. Narcissa Malfoy's mind had been tarnished. Some days she was herself, speaking, eating, and remembering as normally as anyone could. She recounted moments of the war, moments before the war, such as Draco's childhood, and would recollect tales to her infant grandson, Scorpius, in great detail. On most occasions, she was well. It was the nights that were the worst, and the moments where her husband's, Lucius's name was mentioned. Draco hadn't realized at first. He thought her vacant expressions, her temporary loss of memory, were due to her grief over her husband's imprisonment. For all that his father had done in his life, Draco knew that his mother still loved Lucius, and she had been heartbroken when Harry Potter had not spoken in favor of him, sentencing him to life in Azkaban. It made perfect sense that she would miss him. However, it wasn't until a few years later that Draco considered something more sinister was at play. It wasn't just her memories that were failing her anymore. It was her body. He watched his mother gradually become paler, become thinner, her hair grayed quickly, and began to fall out. Some days she was unable to even raise her wand to perform a simple summoning charm, and it happened whenever Lucius' name was, was mentioned. It didn't matter if it was in passing or if Draco began an in-depth discussion about his father. Every time the name was mentioned, the vacant expression, the memory lapse would occur, and over time it had taken its toll on her body. Draco hated his father. He despised him for everything he had made Draco do in his life, allowing Voldemort to mark him, allowing him to plot to plan to kill Dumbledore, even for teaching him so much hate for particular people that he didn't think he would ever truly be able to erase that from himself. But the one thing that he hated his father for more than anything else was what he had done to Narcissa. He had broken her mind. 
It was as simple as that. He had placed some kind of memory charm on her that meant every time she thought of him, every time she heard his name, her mind would try to erase him. At first, Draco thought it had been out of love, and maybe it had been, but it had been such a poor bit of magic that he had his doubts. Was his father angry that she and Draco had escaped Azkaban? Was he resentful enough, filled with so much hate, that he would intentionally mess with his wife's mind so that Draco would be forced to care for her? Because that's what it had become. Draco, married with a son now, forced to always live in the home that had given him nightmares forced to get up at least twice a night to his mother's terrified screams as she dreamt of her husband and then literally lost her mind was this his father's final punishment for draco the son who had sent the malfoy name into retribution for failing to follow the dark ward's wishes it was abhorrent to think about but after seven years draco thought that maybe it was time to address the matter once and for all. Azkaban was the last place Draco wished to ever set foot in, even though the Dementors were no longer guards, replaced by miserable-looking wizards. The place still gave off a feeling of absolute misery. As he apparated to the entrance, he was greeted by a blank-faced wizard, small and balding. He startled when he saw Draco. Mr. Malfoy, he exclaimed, jumping to his feet, what has brought you? Well, of course, um, your father. Draco gave a single nod. Yes, his father was the reason he was in this despondent place. Uh, pl please just sign here, the wizard said, showing a long, shoving a long piece of parchment under Draco's nose. We track our visitors, that's all, and so you know visiting is limited to an hour. I won't be needing that long, Draco assured the man, careful not to give anything away. He signed the parchment, passed it back to the wizard, and gave another nod to indicate he was ready. Right this way, Mr. Malfoy. The wizard led Draco through a door. The moment he passed it, he felt the temperature drop. He reached for his wand to cast a warming charm over himself, but the wizard said, uh, Performing magic within these walls isn't possible for visitors. Right, Draco said, shoving and stowing his wand away again. So, everyone just freezes? No, the wizard waved his own wand, and sudden warmth filled Draco. Visitors cannot perform magic. He gave a wry smile as Draco looked on in amazement. They walked for some time down corridors, past many cells. Draco resisted the urge to stop and look. The dreadful moans were enough for him to even feel the smallest amount of pity for his father. Was this what he heard every day? Was this what he felt? Just through here, the wizard said. He'd walk through a door that read Maximum Security. It was even colder and darker in this part. Dementors didn't need to be present for Draco to feel as if all his happiness was being sucked from him. He could sense the misery from every cell from a mile away. This was where the Death Eaters were kept. The ones who had refused to renounce the old ways, or the ones, like Lucius Malfoy, who had committed too many crimes to be forgiven. This was the place they'd all die.
Lucius's cell was near the end by a rotting window that blasted in the cool, crisp water from below. As Draco neared it, it would be the first time he had laid eyes on his father since the hearing seven years ago. A sense of dread filled him. It was still his father, after all, and these conditions appalled him. One hour, Mr. Malfoy, the wizard said, and he was gone a moment later. The cell his father was kept in was damp and smelled of urine and rotting food. It was a small square containing a lavatory, a hard bed, and a wash basin. There was nothing else for entertainment. At his approach, Draco was confronted by not the cruel-faced man he'd witnessed being dragged away after the Wizengamot had declared him guilty of unforgivable crimes, but a sallow, hallowed man. Lucius wasn't recognizable as the man who had held Draco down while the Dark Lord branded him with the dark mark. His hair had thinned to the point of visible bald patches, his skin a sickening yellow. Draco's father was weak, and he gazed at Draco with something resembling shock. Draco, he stammered, sitting up a little straighter. Father, Draco gave a curt nod, keeping his expression neutral. He was here for one reason and one reason only. There was a moment when father and son looked at each other without speaking. There was nothing to be said. The man before Draco was as good as dead. He had ruined Draco's life and, consequently, ruined it for his wife and son as well. Not to mention his mother, Lucia's wife, the woman he supposedly loved. Tell me how to reverse the spell on mother. For a moment, Lucius did not pay her to comprehend. Then something in his hollow expression came to life. He stared at Draco. I cannot. It is for her own good. Draco wasn't here to play games. Tell me how to reverse it. More silence then. Why do you want that, Draco? Why would you want to do that to her? To do that to her? Draco roared. What do you mean? Seven years of torture? For her. For me. And now, for my wife and son, tell me how. You have a son? Lucius's voice was barely audible. He looked at Draco in awe. Draco ignored him. What did you do to her? I placed a memory charm on her, Lucius rasped. To forget me. I did not wish to cause her pain. It was meant to be gradual, to slowly have me fade from her memories, to slowly become happy. Happy? Draco hissed, clutching the bars with his hands. You call what you did to her happy? Draco, she forgets you all right, Draco continued. Whenever your name is mentioned, wherever you enter her dreams, whenever you enter her dreams, her memory of you blanks. And then she forgets who she is, where she is, who I am. She forgets everything. She's frail of mind and body. She's weak. This seemed to genuinely shock Lucius. No, he said. This, that isn't. Tell me 
How to reverse it, Draco said again. Draco, tell me! Lucius flinched, sinking slightly, slightly into the shadow of his cell. Then he said, his voice barely audible, I don't know. That wasn't supposed to be how it worked. What was it supposed to do? Draco snapped. Kill her? Never! There was pain in Lucius's voice now. No! It was supposed to help her. It was supposed to ease her pain, to make her happy. She was meant to forget me. Draco said nothing. He simply stared through the bars at his father's bedraggled, weak form slumped on the floor of his cell. The small amount of pity he felt earlier had vanished. You ruined our lives! Draco hissed through the bars. Her life! My life! Everyone! You, you went near! Draco! No! Draco said. Listen to me. What kind of father hands his only son Arvor to the darkest wizard known to exist so said wizard could have him murder someone? I had no choice. Lucius whined, his head bowed. There was always a choice, Draco cried. There was always a choice, and you chose wrong. I will not make the same mistake. My son will grow up knowing that his father cared for him. He'll be happy. He'll be safe. And most importantly, he'll know that he is loved. Draco! Goodbye, father. Draco turned. I hope your time in Azkaban is a painful one. Draco! Draco didn't stop. He marched past all the other sails, past the wizard, and out to the entrance. He disapparated immediately, landing on the front of Malfoy Manor, his home. It would always be his home for as long as his mother's memory continued to fail her. He stood with Narcissa on the top of North Tower. The cool, crisp air wept at their faces as they overlooked the Hogwarts grounds. He had not set foot in the castle grounds since the end of the war, but the healer had said returning to where it had all begun would be good for the healing process. This is where we shared our first kiss, his mother reminisced, a smile tugging at her lips. We were in love at one point, Draco, she sighed, staring out into the darkness. It seems so long ago now. Draco could only nod. He had long ago gotten over thinking about any potential love story between his parents. He no longer cared. All that mattered was helping his mother heal. Tell me when you're ready to leave, mother. He didn't wish to linger, even if Professor McGonagall had given them an hour. This place may have held pleasant memories for his mother, but for Draco, he felt nothing but shame in coming back here. They stayed there for what felt like forever, but in reality it was probably only fifteen minutes. Turning her back to the vast open tower, Narcissa looked to her son and nodded. We may leave. Draco helped her back down the narrow stairs, gripping her arm tightly so that she wouldn't fall. The healing had helped her mind, but her body was still weak. She could not walk for long or for far without falling. As they returned to their home, the empty walls as cold as the tower, Narcissa went straight to bed. 
pleasant dreams, mother, Draco said, hoping, like he hoped every night, that this would be the night she slept peacefully at last. Astoria was in their bedroom, sitting on the floor and watching Scorpius crawl around, occasionally stopping to poke chubby hands into the cage where they kept their pet niffler. How was it, Draco? she asked, looking up. How did it go? Draco shrugged, barely acknowledging her. He sat on the edge of the bed and buried his face in his hands. Only time will tell, he told her. All we can do is hope and wait. Astoria came to sit beside him, her hand resting on his back. The only sound was the gentle laughter of Scorpius, who was still trying to poke the disgruntled Niffler. Wait, that was all they could do. It was all they could ever do. His father may have been in Azkaban, but this place was just as much a prison as anywhere else. Until he could leave it, Draco knew. He, they, would never have a home. All right, my friends, and I will join you in just a moment. Hi, and welcome back to Sepa Stories. All right, so this is the segment in this episode where if you would like to skip on, move on to the next recorded story, or if you would prefer to listen to a previously recorded story or season, this would be the time you could do that. If you'd like to hang around for Cursed Memories commentary, you're invited to do that. So let's settle in and talk about this really wonderful story. Okay, so Cursed Memories by Fire the Cannon. There is nothing about this story that is a happy, feel-good moment. And for that reason, oh my goodness, I love this. Okay, so, so many fan fiction pieces um, that you read all, you know, try to follow a formula of, and I don't want to say all, but a good portion of fan fiction stories. You know, you have the formula of here are the characters, here's the tension, here's the resolution, and then here's the happy ending with a bow on the top of it, and, and there you are. This story doesn't do that. And because of it, because of the nature and kind of bleakness of the story, it really appeals to me in its severity. Okay, so what does that mean? What am I saying? What worked for me as a reader? What works for me as a reader um, reading Cursed Memories is that here we have an almost princely and almost royal family. You know, they are part of the Sacred 28, which are the last of the pure-blood wizarding families, and the head of their house, the sky end of their house, of course, Lucius Malfoy, is in Azkaban. And he's serving a life sentence. So, it, you know, he's, he is very much, you know, having to pay back his debt to wizarding society for the things that he's done. We have Narcissa and Draco and Astoria and infant Scorpius all living in Malfoy Manor together. And we are presented with the unfolding of the story of, you know, Draco is in bed with his wife and 
baby Scorpius is in a bassinet in the bedroom next to our, you know, Asteria, which is really nice because she's not, um, it looks like relying on elves to take care of the baby. She is taking care of her baby and that that's kind of an interesting and nice detail. And you have Draco um, being roused from sleep by the cries of his, you know, mother. He's hearing screaming and, you know, he goes in to try to, he leaves his bedroom and, of course, uh, Scorpius and Astoria have not been woken from the, from the screaming. Only Draco has. And I think maybe it's because he's listening for his mother because we find that when he goes to check on her to see if she is all right, you know, a couple of doors down from their bedroom, she's cowering in a corner and, you know, cringing and, and it's a, almost a pathetic, really sad Narcissa, a very woman brought down low. You know, this in the canon stories of Harry Potter, we're always told that Narcissa has this cold beauty, that she's haughty, that she's a very proud woman. And here she is, you know, in her silver nightgown, you know, just pretty much um, emaciated, you know, just very not well. And her hair is even falling out, you know, her pretty hair is, is, is coming out and she's just not well and she's very thin and, um, and she's losing her mind. So it, it made me think of, um, people who are dealing with dementia and so it was very poignant for me as a reader, um, having, having had exposure to uh, family situations where there is dementia present. Um, reading about this, I thought that the writer did an outstanding job in caring and loving someone so much and you have pity for your loved one uh, going through such a debilitating type thing. And at the same time, maybe being repulsed by it. And I thought that the, the writer did capture that and does detail that, the description of how he feels looking at his mother. But that doesn't prevent him, you know, the, these feelings of revulsion that he feels of what she's going through. He's not repulsed by her, but rather I think that the situation is how I interpreted this. That he does, you know, get down to her level and tries to talk her back into her mind. You know, and she's staring at him blankly. And finally, you know, he's able to get her to calm enough to to pick her up, or, you know, to guide her to her bed. And she's stumbling across the floor. And he gets her back into her bed. And as he's settling her back in, very much like a child, or, you know, um, tucking his mother back in, you know, hoping that she can sleep again, um, she recognizes and comes out of this fog that her mind is in and recognizes that it's her son and then asks the painful question of, oh, you know, where's your father? And this is where it has unfolded that, you know, of course, now that Lucius Malfoy is in Azkaban serving a life sentence and has been for seven years and that this nightly occurrence that this woman is going through, that this witch is going through, is... Um, something that Draco is having to live with. And he's almost thinking that this is, 
you know, a, a curse, you know, to their family. So I thought that in a view, in a very, very few well-structured sentences, the writer managed to capture what the feeling of hopelessness Draco must be feeling and not really being able to care for his mother other than to comfort her, guide her back to bed. And then he himself goes back to his room to sleep to try to get a few hours sleep because he knows that she's going to wake up screaming again. So, you know, that's that's the tension. That is what's happening in this story and this repetitive um, nightly terror that she goes through or you know, this anguish that she goes through is what they are all going through with her. Um, so I, I thought that, you know, that was very poignant and very well written. And the story has a tension um, in it. As you read it, you kind of feel how bleak the story is and, and how exhausting this could be. And I think coming from a point of maybe a little bit of experience and, and hearing about people who have undergone a relatable issue of dementia, um, it really struck home with me in a very visceral way. So in the story, since this is a wizarding story, we find out that Draco discovers that this is not a physical condition that Narcissa is going through, but rather a magical condition. And he deduces that his father has done something. But what he doesn't know is what Lucius's motivations are. And having um, basically damaged Narcissa's mind. So he takes it upon himself to go to Azkaban, as we have heard in the story. What I loved about Draco's trip to Azkaban is it almost seems as if the guard there, they don't get a lot of uh, traffic, and so he's startled when he sees young Draco Malfoy. And he deduces that he's there to see, you know, his father. And you almost kind of feel sorry for the guard. Like, I thought the guard was a sympathetic character, you know, that he's kind of stationed there alone. And, you know, you're in this miserable place in this really sad, you know, prison where you have death eaters who are living out life sentences, you know, are, are housed. And even though the Dementors aren't there, you know, you, the, the feeling of coldness and bleakness is, is there. And the writer did a really great job of describing this, almost in the tension of how quickly, you know, the, the guard just kind of seems to babble at Draco, like he receives so little company there that when he has someone there, he's just kind of like talking about random things and he doesn't really know how to be quiet and Draco's just kind of alone for the ride um, on the way to visit his dad. So... It's almost like this nervous energy that the guard seems to, to have. And so you get the feeling of isolation and loneliness just in how the guard reacts and responds and talks to Draco. So I thought that was really well done. Um, that, you know, you can sense the loneliness and then Draco taking in how cold everything feels. Okay, so the confrontation between Draco and Lucius Malfoy. I loved everything about the meeting of these two characters seven years after Lucius has been sentenced and 
you see a very proud, arrogant man brought to the lowest of the lowest point. And he was pretty low already with uh, Voldemort having camped out in his house. In the films we see, and I really thought that uh, the actor that portrayed, of course, Lucius Malfoy for the life of me, I can't think of his name, it's driving me crazy. And I'll, I'll think of it when I'm not thinking of it. But um, to see the Lucius Malfoy that we see in the second Harry Potter film when he drops the diary into Jenny Weasley's, you know, cauldron. That arrogant, well-groomed, put-together Draco Malfoy's dad, you know, Lucius Malfoy, you know, just very rich-looking, very perfect, perfectly groomed. And now we have this complete opposite, this wretch of a man. And you know, his skin is sallow and it's yellowing. I thought that was, those were great details because he's not getting sunlight. He's in this little room. There's nothing in the cell other than him. You know, there's a lavatory and you know, I think a bed and there's just nothing there. No entertainment. And, you know, it's cold. And we're, we've, we're reading that, of course, you know, that he's also losing his hair, it's falling out, and he's got bald patches, you know, so, so he is really hurting, and he's really not in a good way. The conversation between Draco and Lucius, where Draco is just, tell me how to reverse it, what did you do? And we find out in this conversation that Lucius didn't really mean to hurt Narcissa, he was trying to do her a kindness, but it went so wrong. But Draco at this point just has so little room for forgiveness in his heart for his father that he pretty much, um, that's the last time you think, you know, that I think he'll, he would ever want to see his father. He tells, you know, his father that he is a, a father himself, Draco does. And Lucius is amazed that you know, he's a grandfather. He didn't know that he had a grandson up to that point in this story. I thought that that really was well done, you know, almost painful, joyful news to know that life, you know, is moving on, but is not including him. And then to find out how bad, how badly Narcissa is doing, it's just one thing piling on top of another that I think to have such a broken you know, man as Lucius at this point. It, the writer doesn't explore whether or not Lucius Malfoy is feeling remorse for his beliefs or for his thoughts or for the things that he did, but he does feel it for his family. And I thought that the writer very beautifully captured how Lucius is very much, you know, trying to plead for forgiveness or or for understanding or to offer explanation, and Draco just isn't having it. So when the admission comes out that Lucius doesn't know how to fix Narcissa because it wasn't supposed to work like that, we have uh, Draco just walking out and basically kind of cursing his father, you know, have a great life in Azkaban kind of thing. And you can just see the rage that that Draco is carrying within himself and the determination that his own son will never you know have to live through experiences like he did so I thought that in a way we have redemption for Draco and that he is wanting to be a better father for his own child but he is so full of rage and anger um, 
at what his father has done. He's not willing or at the point to forgive his father. And he, of course, he's been dealing for seven years with Narcissa kind of coming apart and deteriorating that he doesn't take the step in this story of forgiving his father. He is just happy to hold on to his rage and, and leave his father and maybe leaves empowered or does he leave diminished? So for me as a reader, for me to question and ponder that particular point after having read the story, a good piece of fan fiction inspires you to think about something after you've read it. Actually, any good piece of writing will inspire you to think about what you have heard or what you have read when you've put the page down. And in this instance, that is what the story is, is doing and doing very well. So we do have resolution at the end where we know that um, I don't think we'll ever see Draco approach his father. Or maybe that's another story. We don't know where the writer, what direction the writer might take, you know, fire the cannon might take in this particular um piece of fan fiction you know this could be fleshed out later or maybe this stands alone as it is there is no happy ending we have you know of course Narcissa um, and Draco back at Hogwarts and he's trying to help her heal her mind and she's she's remembering bits and pieces so you know that Draco is actively working to help her and while her mind is starting to recover, her body just hasn't. And, you know, it's kind of sad um, that we age or that we we get sick and we have a hard time bouncing back. And so I thought that that physical manifestation of how bad her mind had been broken and the recovery from that, you know, was a wonderful detail for the writer to, to add in the story and her saying this was where we had our first kiss and we were in love and, you know and and Draco is just past that he just wants to help his mother so you know again I can see that in the story he is still carrying rage for his father and a devoted type of duty and love to his mother and family so the ending scene where we have Draco and I think he wishes his mother good night and he's, you know, going back to his bedroom and there is Narcissa in this big, huge manner. This, the tension of the story seems to happen in these two bedrooms. So that also, I think, very cleverly um, points out how isolated they are. It almost seems as if they're living their moments in these two rooms, their most important moments. You have Scorpius and there's, you know, a pit niffler in a cage and he's crawling around and messing, you know, with the little animal. And you have Astoria and she's on the floor, you know, with her son watching, you know, her baby. And you have Draco come in and, you know, she's, how did it go? And, you know, trying to be supportive and there for him. And, you know, you still have Draco feeling despondent, head in hands kind of thing. And she gets up and sits on the bed beside him and, you know, is just kind of patting him, you know, placing her hands on him. And I thought that was a really beautiful moment that, you know, that she's there with him, that she's chosen to be there with him, you know, as, as his wife, as his friend, maybe his only friend at that point, the only person on his side, 
really is Narcissa and of course their son who in childlike innocence isn't aware that anything is wrong you know he's happy playing with the with the Nuffler so there's there's the innocence contrasted with Draco and Astoria uh, very much trying to live in the situation that they're in and Draco realizing that it didn't matter whether or not they were in Azkaban that their life together while Narcissa is, is suffering is as much a prison as, as Lucius sitting in his cell. So the whole thing to me is, I think in our last, um, I believe it was in, in Kismet, um, we talked a little bit about film noir. And I think this story, if you were to film this particular story, Cursed Memories, this is a film noir. <laughs> you know, everything that's happening in the story could be shot at night or in darkness and or clouded or subdued. This is a very gray feeling story. There, there are no, you know, bright gold moments. There are um, hard, sad moments here. And it just kind of brings, it brings the tragedy of Draco Malfoy into really sharp relief. So, you know, seeing this, if it were a filmed short you know like a short film or short story in my mind as I'm reading the story I'm not seeing things in color I'm seeing things you know in black and white and grays with shadows you know and so I thought that this was lovely I really thought that this was a um I, I don't know that you could call it gothic style but it it reads and feels gothic style to me um or the technique is is really tight this is a beautifully written story and that it doesn't um, show the characters in happiness or in joy or even really a lot of hope. There's little hope, but not a lot of hope, you know, is, is beautiful. I think it makes Scorpius, you know, the baby seem that much brighter because he's the only one who who's happy or joyful at any point in the story is is the baby in, in his innocence. So I love this. I thought this was brilliant. So I give it a five owls, you know, out of one to five, it gets five owls from me. So that is my, my rating and scoring system. It absolutely knocked it out of the ballpark. I didn't feel happy finishing uh, the story. And I don't think I was meant to. So it works, you know, it's a moving piece of, of writing. If you think about it, there are some stories that they're not happy, feel good film, you know, films or, or, or stories take Gatsby. You know, you've got um, the story of Gatsby, right? And if you saw the film, you know, it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but it's a tragedy. And sometimes there are no happy endings, you know, it, it leaves you feeling heartbroken and a little broken inside. And if it evokes an emotion like this, then it worked. Moulin Rouge for me, you know, is also one that kind of makes me think of this story in a weird way where the Moulin Rouge film by Baz Luhrmann is so bright and visual and it just almost makes your eyes, you know, want to want to want to bleed it. There's so much going on. This story is in sharp contrast, absolutely the opposite, you know, and but they both do not end with happy moments, you know, they end with 
with the the I guess your your main character having to deal with and live with the tragedy that is their life and is there a strength and resolve in that I'd like to think that this Draco Malfoy is a broken man but he's trying to be there for his family I think he's holding on to rage and I think that this Draco Malfoy is the Draco Malfoy that we could see develop into Scorpius's dad and Cursed Child, which I know a lot of people are not a huge fan of the Cursed Child um, book, but it is considered part of canon. This Draco, that kind of stoic, holding himself together however way he can, you know, by that point, he's lost a story, so he's really kind of just all on his own with his son. Um, this is that Draco. That Draco becomes that man, and this bridges between the end of, you know, Harry Potter's seventh book and Cursed Child. This story fits so wonderfully in between that if it were part of canon, written by Rowling herself, um... I could mistake this piece as being written by her. It's that good. So that's the highest form of compliment I could give this story. And I can say that this particular season, every story that I have read has just really knocked it out of the ballpark. You know, I think Kismet uh, was our um, crossover Twilight fiction story. One Wand is is also I think my film noir I think is really more where I was going with that where we have uh, Voldemort and Severus Snape having that final confrontation and that's that fourth in that series every single story this season has really knocked it out of the ballpark and Cursed Memories is definitely going to be you know up there with with one I think is special so um, my goodness I think fan fiction writers are just getting stronger and stronger oh my goodness um it's amazing amazing writing and and really good work so kudos um to fire the canon and to my other authors who have contributed stories to sepa stories season four we are off to a dead heat run this is amazing thank you Thank you so much for contributing your work to SEPA Stories. Okay, so with that, if you liked what you've heard and you've enjoyed the story and the commentary and you're a writer or you're a listener, please subscribe. Uh, share this podcast, you know, um, copy the link and get it out there to your friends if you have friends who enjoy fan fiction. Um, if you want to write do some writing, reach out to me. I am open to um, reviewing your work. And if it's a good fit for SEPA stories, you know, I will communicate with you. I believe I am at SEPA200 at gmail.com if you'd like to email me um, a draft. I do have some people who are already sending me things. I get things through Messenger and Tumblr and every which way now. So if it takes me a little while, please forgive me. I am a one-woman show doing this. Um, but it's worth it to get your writing writers um, out for listening pleasure. And for you listeners to make sure you've got wonderful quality reads to listen to. All right, everyone. So... If you liked it, follow, share, subscribe, tell your mother, tell your grandmama, tell everybody. Um, 
And yeah, help us to really share this wonderful, these wonderful stories with, with other people. And with that, be kind wherever you're at. I'm wishing you wonderful thoughts. May good fortune find you wherever you're at. And we will see you next time on SEPA Stories.